Let's go and continue our study in the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2. We've begun our study of Jonah. It's one of the 12 minor prophets, and obviously we talked about the fact that Jonah was a prophet of God who already had been used by God. He'd already given God's message. So when we meet him in Jonah chapter 1, he's already a seasoned prophet. He prophesied about the 8th century B.C., just a few decades before Assyria would come and take Israel into captivity. And you perhaps remember Assyria, the capital of Assyria was Nineveh, and that's where Jonah was supposed to go preach. But did Jonah want to do God's will? No. He didn't want to do what God told him to do. So he thought he could outrun God's will. And as we found out the other week, he wasn't very successful in outrunning God's will. So he runs down to Joppa, and then he runs down into a ship, and he's running in the opposite direction of God's will. As we said, he's not doing too good about escaping the Lord. And even after that, he goes down into the sea, and he thinks, perhaps, uh, I've fled the Lord, and I've won now. We find out that God is inescapable. You can't get away from the Lord. And along Jonah's road of rebellion, God shows himself powerfully to the pagan sailors. You maybe remember how they were terrified in that storm, but then at the end they gave glory to God. They feared the Lord. Jonah, on the other hand, he's still out against the Lord. And perhaps he thought to himself, you know, God, he's lost it with me. I mean, he's, his patience is spent, and uh, he's just judging me now, and he wants to do away with me. And he thought to himself, I've done so much bad, I'm not going to be able to recover from this. But the message that we have today is a message of hope, that God has everlasting patience. I maybe said overstated when I said he has everlasting patience, because he is, he is more, so much more patient than we are. There does come a point of judgment, but God is so patient, and that should propel us to be thankful, because even Jonah said in the end of all these things, in Jonah 2, verse 9, it says, salvation belongs to the Lord. So what we're going to talk about today, brothers and sisters in the Lord, is God's sovereign salvation. Let's pray briefly as we begin. Father, help us as we continue our study of Jonah. Help us to understand a man who's on the run from God. And how that kind of lifestyle just does not work. Pray that you would cause us to be instructed by his life. So that we'll understand not only are you inescapable. But you're so patient and kind to deliver us. We're thankful for that in Jesus name. Amen. As I've been studying the book of Jonah. I've been impressed by how much God is involved in the story. You start the story and it says the Lord spoke to Jonah. Jonah runs away. The storm comes, but it's the Lord who sends the storm. And then it's the Lord, if you would, who would have that captain go wake Jonah up and tell him to pray. It's the Lord who made sure that the lot fell on Jonah. It's the Lord who kept stirring up the sea. It's the Lord who calmed the sea when Jonah was thrown in the sea. The Lord keeps showing up again and again in the story. Now, I think when it comes to our lives, we have to be instructed by that. Things that happen in our lives, even the little details, aren't by chance. God is working in those little details. He's always at work. You see, he can work through a variety of situations in our life, and we have to realize that he is always in the process of changing us into the image of his son. So God is sovereignly working even when we run away. 
He is always at work trying to deliver us from our sin. Now, sometimes we come to these points of sin and rebellion, and we get to completely despair, and we think there's really no hope. God has forsaken me. He's judged me. Uh, That's it. But then the Lord shows us his patience. He allows us to see our hearts and how wicked they are, and and it shows us, you know, my thoughts have been wrong. My attitude's been wrong. My actions have been wrong. I've been running against the Lord. And that's where we find Jonah. For the last two weeks, since we talked about Jonah last, Jonah's been in the sea, just floundering there, waiting for us to keep reading, to continue reading our story. Seemingly, he's still away from the Lord, but God sovereignly saves him. You see, God sends a great fish to protect Jonah from drowning. Jonah chapter 1, verse 6, 17. This is actually where chapter 2 ought to begin. But Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three nights, three days and three nights. Now, most of the people in the world think this story is a little bit fishy, right? They don't believe it. They don't understand how someone could be swallowed by a, a fish and live to tell the story. But history actually gives us several accounts of folks who actually have been swallowed by fish and lived to tell about it. For example, in 1871, Some sailors were on a whaling ship named the Star of the East, and they were attempting to capture a whale. In the process of of attempting to capture that whale, two people fell overboard. One of them drowned. His body was recovered. The other one was not recovered. They didn't know where he was. He was lost. Well, they ended up capturing the whale. They took it back to the docks, and they began to process the whale. Ironically, the sailors start cutting into the whale's stomach, and who do you think they found? They found that lost sailor who they didn't know where he went, James Bartley, and he was still alive. You see, there, there actually are stories of folks being swallowed by fish and living to tell about it. doesn't mean that it was a great experience, but it has happened. And what it says here is that Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. And that's an amazing story. But skeptics say, hey, th- this is idiotic. We're going to attack the word of God because you have a stupid story like Jonah in the belly of the whale. But what does Jesus do with that story? He actually uses it as an illustration. We talked about this last two weeks ago. Matthew chapter 12 verse 40 says, Jesus speaking, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, so the Son of Man will be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. So do you think that God would really put Jonah through that? just so that Jesus could give an illustration 700 years later? You know what? Sometimes God does put his people through things for the sake of illustration. You think of Ezekiel, who lost his wife for the sake of a sermon illustration. Sometimes that does happen. What's interesting is, how far does this illustration go? The question is, was Jonah alive or was he dead in the belly of the whale? Perhaps you didn't know that was a question, but commentators disagree on that. Did he stay alive, or did he die and the Lord gave him new life, resurrected him from the dead? Some people say he was alive, and that's why it says he was able to tell how long he was in the belly of the fish, three days, three nights. But of course, I have the question, if you're in the belly of the fish, how are you keeping track of time? You don't have a Timex watch anyway. In addition to that, people say, well, he was obviously alive because... This, this whole chapter, chapter 2, tells us about the prayer that he prayed. So he must have been alive if he prayed, but it wouldn't take him very long. It wouldn't take him three days to pray nine verses. Other people say, and they're actually very few in number, they believe that Jonah died, and that God raised him 
from his death, if you would. J. Vernon McGee, if you know that name, he believes this. And he says that Jonah must have died because that's the point of connection to Matthew 12. Jesus is saying Jonah and Jesus, they're parallel. Both Jesus and Jonah spent three days and three nights in the grave. Jonah was dead. Three days, three nights. Jesus was dead. Three days, three nights. So he says he was dead. Look at Matthew 12. Now, as I look at Matthew 12, it does not mention being dead. It mentions a time, three days, three nights. So I'm not going to use Matthew 12 as support for Jonah dying. What I'll point you to is the fact that, of what Jonah said. Look at in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2, the end of the verse. Jonah says, out of the belly of Sheol I cried. What's Sheol? It's a Hebrew word for grave. All right, this isn't hard. Kids, who are in graves? Who are in graves? Dead people, right? Dead people are in graves. That's where someone, once they've died, they go. So when Jonah says, out of the belly of the grave I cried, it would seem to think he's in the grave. Who are in graves? Dead people. So you have a psalm, chapter 16, verse 10. You will not abandon my soul in Sheol, the grave, or you'll let, nor will you let your Holy One see corruption. So it seems to me that Jonah thought, he said, he affirmed he was dead because he said he was in the grave. Now many commentators say, well, this whole thing is poetry and therefore it's very figurative. But why take it figuratively when you could actually say he died and God raised him? We're not going to be able to solve that debate, but what we do know is that God used a fish to get Jonah back on track. You see, God wanted Jonah to go to Nineveh. He can't go to Nineveh if he's in the middle of the sea, so God tells the great fish to deliver Jonah from the sea, put him back on dry land. So Jonah chapter 2, verse 10, the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. So God uses a great fish, and for all you Hebrew gurus... Here's your fun Hebrew fact. The, word, the Hebrew word for fish is dog. So if you want to know Hebrew, the word for fish is dog. It was a dog gadol, a great fish. And that is what God used to transport Jonah from the sea back to the land. Because he's got to get to land if he's going to get to Nineveh. So Jonah had thought, hey, I'm going to book a ship away from the land, away from God's will, away from Nineveh. And God turns and says, actually, I'm going, to I'm going to book a great fish and get Jonah back to land, back to my will, back to Nineveh. You see how God has every means at his disposal to get us back into his will? He can use anything he wants to put us back on track. We cannot outwit God. We're not going to evade his purposes. God can use the sea, the sailors, a big fish to get us back on track. The question is, what does God have to get... What does he have to use to get you and me back on track at times? Are we back on track? Or are we still running? Perhaps we're like Jonah. We've pushed past the storm. We've pushed past the sailors. But, you know, we're kind of in the belly of a great fish and we don't know what to do. Well, it was in the belly of the great fish that Jonah had the great turnaround. He came to his senses. He finally faced his sin and repented. So Jonah, like us, needed, he kind of needed a lot to turn him around. It wasn't the storm, it wasn't being thrown into the sea, it was having to spend three days in the motel, the great fish. That was the problem. That's what turned them around. Sometimes we're hard-headed like that too, aren't we? It takes us a little bit to turn us around. But God is so patient with his erring children. 
And that's what we have to be reminded about. God does not get rid of us even though we're faithless. We think if we fail, we ought to get fired. That's just how we reason. We failed you, God. You ought to fire us. You ought to get rid of us. But God's so patient, and he chastens and disciplines his children so he can bring them back to a productive life. That's what we find with Jonah. He gets turned around. And the reason why I believe personally that he gets turned around in Jonah chapter 2 is that's the first time he starts talking to God. Up until then, he doesn't talk to God. In chapter 2, it says in verse 1, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord from the belly of the fish. And when he did that, he got really honest with God. And that's what sinners have to do. Not only does God save sovereignly, but sinners have to be honest with God. And that's what Jonah did. He gave an honest assessment of himself. Look in verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. And he heard my voice. Now, it's not surprising that once he got that deep, that once he got into the belly of the whale, that he prayed. I mean, who wouldn't pray? But we often give him so much grief because he didn't. It took him that far to turn. But doesn't it take us sometimes as long before we'll turn to the Lord? We have to be in over our heads before we'll finally say, okay, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do. But Jonah realized his condition. It's hopeless. And he has ultimately, he's utterly dependent on the Lord. And that's what we have to do. It is a wonderful thing when we have to come to the point through whatever trial or situation it is where we say, you know what, Lord, I can't try anymore because I've found out that my trying doesn't work. I can't evade you anymore. I've got to just give in. I've got to give you the reins. I've got to depend on you. And those are wonderful times, and that's what Jonah realized. I can't do it. Only the Lord can do this. He realized that the Lord was chasing him. Look at Jonah chapter 2, verse 3. It says, For you... Cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seeds. The floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Verse 5, the waters closed over to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land where the bars were closed upon me forever. So what he's trying to say is the Lord has been chastening me. He's the person who threw me overboard. You said the people did that. Nope, the Lord was the person who ordained that. You say, it was the storm that got you all afraid. No, those were the Lord's billows. Those were his waves. He was chastening him to draw him back. And Jonah realized that the Lord was trying to deliver him. Look at verse 6. Jonah 2.6 says, You were the middle of the verse. You brought my life up from the pit. Oh, my God. He realized that God was not done with him. Look in verse 4. Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I will again look upon your holy temple. You see, it's finally in the belly of the whale that Jonah realizes that God is patient and he is gracious and that he is working to deliver him. It reminds us that in our terrible state of sin and opposition to God, Christ came and reached down and took us out from that terrible situation and set us on a rock. He took us out of the pit. That's what Christ did for us. We find hope in his death and resurrection. We can finally know and trust him as Savior, and then that breeds in us this eternal thankfulness. So we're not surprised when after God delivers Jonah, Jonah remembers the Lord. Look at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came up unto you and to your holy temple. So Jonah gives praise to the Lord in the last three verses there. He, saw, he knew that the Lord had heard him. He says it in verse 2, says it again in verse 7. He knew the Lord was the only source of steadfast love. Look at verse, I believe it's number 8. He said, 
Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. He's trying to say there are a lot of things out there that are vain. They're not going to last. They're going to fail you. But God does not fail us. His steadfast love does not run out. So he commits himself, I'm going to obey God. Look at verse 9. With the voice of thanksgiving will I sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So if there's a great parallel here. At the end of chapter 1, you have the sailors who are sacrificing and vowing vows. They've turned to the Lord. And now you finally have Jonah, the man of God, who's vowing and offering the sacrifice of praise. Why is he doing that? Because God has delivered him. And when God delivers you, there is great reason to praise God. And so he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. So the question is, when we go through rough times in our life, when we go through the belly of the fish moments of life, and we come out on the other end, what do we say? I really outwitted that one. I I really did a good job. I was really diligent, and uh, I got through it. Or do we say, you know what? The Lord delivered me, and that's it. The only hope I have is that the Lord delivered me. And what we have to realize is that when we wrestle with sin, it's not that we just did such a great job and, and, and conquered our sin today. What we experience day in, day out is God delivering us from our sin. I was talking with one of you even this last week. Every chance, every time that you are tempted and the Lord delivers you from that, it's not just because you did just a great job pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps, but the Lord delivered you from that. And he does that again and again and again. And that's what the Lord does to Jonah. In the deepest parts of the ocean, of the sea, that would be the Mediterranean Sea, the Lord delivered him. Why? So that he could get him back on track, to turn him around. And what does Jonah do when God turns him around? What would any of us do when God turns us around and delivers us? He gives him glory. He gives God glory. And that's the joy that we have from Jonah's story. It's a prayer that he prays from the belly of the fish, but it's a prayer of thanksgiving. So let's consider as we go forward this week, not only has Christ saved us from our sin, but week in, week out, day in, day out, what is God delivering you from? What sins is the Lord delivering you from? All those times of deliverance, those are reasons to praise him. And if you are going through rough moments, I encourage you, Just with Jonah, it is time to turn because the Lord can always make it worse. But he's always patient. He always wants to bring you back. So turn and come to the Lord and he'll deliver you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for a chance to be with the folks this afternoon and and to go through this story of Jonah. It's a story that rings home with us because we know exactly what it's like to be pig-headed and stubborn and not want to do what you want us to do even when you've told us exactly what we ought to do. You're so patient and gracious with us. And Father, we ask that we, like Jonah, would turn to you and say, okay, Lord, I'll do it. I'll follow. I'll do what you asked me to do. And Lord, when we do that and you deliver us, Lord, that is a time for great rejoicing. So help us to give you glory for the times you deliver us from sin. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.